You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. From Capital Broadcasting Company and WRAL-FM, welcome to Wine and Dandy. I'm your host, Sarah King. I'm your host, Jamie Kasky. Wine's fun and we intend to prove it. And we have a guest today. I am beside myself excited to speak with this person. His name is Quinn Roberts. He is a master cooper and a master cooper is a person who makes barrels. Yeah. And uh, he's also the certified specialist of wine. And I'm going to let you pronounce the name of your company. I have an idea of how to say it, but I don't want to insult you. (laughs) Sure. It's Canelary O. I was right. Okay, that's not my, that was not my guess, actually. I'm so proud of myself. It's exactly how I thought it was going to be said, but I wasn't sure. All right, so he's the the certified specialist of wine at Tonellery O, and he has graciously accepted our invitation to be on our show today. Welcome, Quinn. Thank you very much. Thanks for the invitation. Of course. Now, Quinn, I will tell you, I don't know a lot about Coopers, and Sarah makes it sound like you guys are like masons because it's super secretive. Yeah, why are you guys so secretive? <laughs> well, uh, there aren't that many of us, um, uh, and so yeah, it's kind of a it's kind of a small society. Uh, I would say there's probably maybe half a dozen wine cooperages uh, in California, and maybe one or two scattered throughout the rest of the country. So wow. uh, you don't run across Coopers all that often. Oh, yeah. so you're, it's not that you're super secretive; you're just not making a lot of noise because it's a smaller group. Ooh. Right, right. I tried to find um, a lot of, or, or, you're not the first Cooper I reached out to, and I didn't hear back from anybody. So there's, see, mm. and from what, and my husband sells wine, and I told mm. him I had a Cooper on, and he was like, oh my gosh, they're so secretive. How did you manage to do that? So, <laughs> I mean, are you just being um, diplomatic, or is there really, you know, some kind of like, this is our secret sauce, and we want to keep our recipe to ourselves? You know, there, I, I, I really haven't um, encountered that. You know, there's definitely within the Cooperage industry, it's pretty open. You know, uh, there aren't a lot of secrets between Coopers. You know, okay. I have questions, uh, you know, about a particular source of oak or a, a process in manufacturing. You know, I, I can reach out to, you know, one of my colleagues nearby and, and, uh, you know, there's a, there's, there's a lot of uh, camaraderie, I'd say. Uh, oh, cool. But, uh, yeah. That yeah, still makes so. it sound like it's an inside thing, Quinn, but we're going to let that roll. Um, how does one train to be a cooper? Well, uh, in, in, in this country, there, there isn't much of like a, a, a formal uh, education. You know, in Europe and especially in France, there are trade schools where you can, you know, learn the specific craft of making barrels, but otherwise uh, it's something that tends to be handed down, uh, you know, through families, which is um, the case with my family. That's how I learned how to make barrels is from my dad. Oh, that's um, cool. Yeah. So he, he, he actually went to France back in the seventies when I was a little kid and did like a formal apprenticeship at a cooperage over there. And uh, then when my brother and I got old enough, we went to work for him during our summer vacations. And, you know, he kind of gradually taught us uh, everything that he knew. 
Um, so yeah, did, it was, uh, it was just, uh, handed down from father to son in my case. That's did, cool. Did you wish you were at the pool instead? <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, I hated him at the time. <laughs> <laughs> now but, you're uh, like, yes, <laughs> thank you, dad. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm exactly. one of seven in yeah. the country. This yeah. is cool now, right? <laughs> uh, so yeah, you said, right. you said there's only like six, six to eight Coopers in America. What about Europe? Are there wine coopers in other places that make wine, like Chile and you know others in South America, or do you really just go to where they're most concentrated in France and like California? Yeah, I would say that that the biggest concentration would be in France. Um, you know, in just about every winemaking region of France, you'll find, uh, especially in, in Burgundy and Bordeaux. You know, that's uh, there are these schools, as I mentioned, that that are teaching young people the craft. And then, you know, you'll have multiple uh, operations set up uh, to produce barrels. So, um, you know, you do see them here and there. Um, Hungary, you know, is another big source of oak for barrels. So there there are several cooperages there. Um, There are one or two. I know of one in Chile. So, you know, wherever there's a pretty well-established wine industry, uh, there's a, there's a couple in China, you know, uh, their wine industry has really been growing by leaps and bounds. So uh, wherever you find wine, you tend to find people making barrels. That makes sense. And it actually mm-hmm. leads me to my next question, because you mentioned that France has the biggest uh, concentration of cooperages. Um, you know, and you often hear when you're talking about a wine that it's aged in French oak. How do you guys go about picking out the oaks that you use? Are you using pin oaks? Are you using red oaks, white oaks? Is it a matter of what kind of oak? And, you know, when you do, you know, and if that's true, what makes the perfect tree to use? That's a good question. So uh, the two, I would say, biggest sources of oak for wine barrels would be uh, France and the U.S. Um, And in France, there are a couple of species of oak that uh, are chosen uh, and in the U.S., there's really only one. Um, so uh, they're all, with, as a group, they're considered white oaks. Um, and in the U.S., <clears throat> it's Quercus alba is the mm-hmm. botanical name of the species. Right, and that, that literally translates as white oak. Sure, yeah, you guys. Uh, um, I actually do. I took dendrology in college, <laughs> so I actually knew what that, but Jamie. You mm-hmm. step off with your big words. <laughs> I'm sorry to interrupt you. <laughs> Go ahead, Quinn. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, uh, so regardless, the, the oak that's chosen is chosen for basically two specific um, qualities, right? So it has to have, obviously, the necessary physical properties where it has to be watertight, it has to be strong and yet flexible because we're going to have to bend the wood into shape mm-hmm. uh, to the kind of oval shape of the barrel. But then, especially for wine, really important consideration are the sensory properties of the wood, right? How is this wood going to interact with the wine inside the barrel over the course of months or sometimes even years, right? So there really are only a few uh, species of oak that have all the necessary physical and sensory properties. Um, so, uh, yeah, and as I said, in the U.S., it's, it's white oak, um, so it's a little bit easier to find uh, good oak for barrels in the U.S. because the habitat for white oak is is really vast. I mean, you can find white oak as far south as you know Arkansas, as far north as Minnesota, and then all the way you know through the Midwest up into New England. Um, you know, France, the whole country of France is slightly smaller than the state of Texas, and the forests where you find these fine oaks, you know, are uh, a much 
smaller portion of the surface area of the country. So the, the resource is a lot more scarce. Um, so um, in France, the French government uh, has a big agency that's in charge of managing all of the forest on public land. And uh, they've done a pretty good job over the years of stewardship, you know, of sustaining the resource and kind of controlling the exploitation of the forest to make sure that it's not, you know, uh, uh, they're not wiped out, they're not clear cut and so on. Um, so we rely on our suppliers in France, rely on this agency, you know, to, to uh, supply them with the highest quality oak. So right. it's white oak also in France too, then it's white oak everywhere. It's well, it, yeah, it's, it's interesting because there's, there's a gen, sort of generic term of white oak and then there's these specific species. So like technically, yeah, it's, um, the species in France, there's the, the, the one that's considered the best for wine is called Quercus petrea. Right. And then there's another called Quercus rober. So those would be the two species that are selected for course, for wine over there. Well, now let me ask you this because because it is so um, wood specific. How about how many barrels are you making a year? How how many barrels does the average cooper craft a year? Yeah, so we're kind of a medium sized cooperage. Um, we're producing the past few years. We've produced between nine and ten thousand barrels a year. Oh wow! Oh, that's um, a significant number, <laughs> higher than yeah. I would have guessed. <laughs> there, there are cooperages that are that are you know much much larger than we are. Um, certainly for wine and especially for bourbon. You know when you compare oh, yeah. kind of the scale of the bourbon cooperage industry to wine, we're just like a, a tiny fraction. I mean, there's cooperages, bourbon cooperages that produce as many barrels in you know a month as we do in a year. It's really pretty remarkable difference but yeah so we produce about 50 barrels a day and we have uh 13 people on the shop floor and the way that production is organized in most cooperages is as as an assembly line so um you know you, you start out with the raw material at one end of the line and that gets processed and then the the pieces are assembled and so on and the barrels are shaped and 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 finished you know by different people they're sort of passing off the material in the barrel until it it uh it reaches the the warehouse as a finished product okay so are you guys competing then with the bourbon people for quercus oak do you make both wine and oh i'm sorry that's a totally different question sorry so you can answer the first answer the first question i'm gonna ask you that in a second i'm sorry i got ahead of myself are you competing with are we competing yeah yeah um well there's different we are so the, the the answer is yeah that we're competing not only with um bourbon cooperages but with people who are buying white oak for other entirely different purposes you know right. white oak is a really popular material for construction for things like flooring and cabinetry like all over the world dang it so yeah <laughs> <laughs> so the price of the wood <laughs> depends on the demand for bourbon it depends on the demand you know when when you know uh, there's a, a boom in, in home construction and sure. so on. So, um, yeah, but there's different grades of wood. And the, the wood that we use for wine barrels is of a higher grade than the wood that would be used for uh, bourbon, for example. They have a higher tolerance for, you know, imperfections in the wood than than, than wine cooperages. So, right. you know, when you the trees the are cut. The, you guys need me. the better wood, basically. Right, right. So, you know, we not only... I mean, a lot of it has to do just with the difference. You know, a lot of wineries will put their barrels out on display, for example. So, you know, in a tasting room or it's, you know, in some part of the winery that's uh, accessible to the public. And so they're really concerned about the appearance of the barrel. Whereas with bourbon, it's not like that. They put the barrels away in these big warehouses called rickhouses that 
they sit for years and years. And, and oh. so well, they're not, have they don't for care. Selfies, really the I guess. You got to get those barrels out. Yeah. People need to pose in front of them with their wine glass. And it honestly right. doesn't surprise me that wine would be uh, more picky about the, 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 the wood than bourbon. Cause bourbon, I don't know. I feel like wine is finer. You know, you'd be able <laughs> bourbon's so hot. I mean, I know the yeah. bourbon people are going to come after me now. I'm like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so are you making bourbon barrels also or just wine barrels? We make a small number of spirits barrels. Um, uh, we've got a couple customers out west or distilleries um, in California and Oregon, but it's really, um, it's pretty insignificant. You know, we make thousands of wine barrels and maybe hundreds of spirits barrels. I so, see. You're just using yeah. the junk leftover wood for these guys, I'm guessing. Like the person who orders <laughs> no, a well-done steak. Are, yeah. <laughs> these, guys, these guys are getting a good deal. They're getting spirits barrels with wine-grade wood, so Ooh. I think they're pretty happy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you mentioned earlier, whenever you were talking about the physical properties of uh, the wood that you look for, and you said that it has sensory properties that offer themselves up to the liquid that's kept inside them. What are these sensory properties? So there are, you know, essential kind of building blocks of the wood that uh, will yield these different volatile aromatic compounds. Uh, when they're exposed to heat. So basically, if you, you, after the barrel is formed, we actually, you know, bend the, the staves or the boards into the oval shape of the barrel. Then the second, the next stage is to essentially cook the wood over a fire, a wood burning fire. Uh, we refer to it as toasting. Ah. And the purpose, of, yeah, the purpose of the toasting process is to, is to draw out all of these, uh, these, pleasing, you know, aromas, uh, and the, the smell of the wood is completely transformed. You know, uh, it no longer smells like, like wood, like lumber. It, uh, takes on usually really sweet characteristics. So a lot of times, you know, people specifically identify these in wine as vanilla, for example, is a really common, uh, aroma that's derived from oak aging of wine. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a substance in the wood naturally occurring in the wood called vanillin that produces that. Um, another would be, especially with American oak with Quercusalba, you can get a sweet smell of coconut. Uh, that comes from a, a compound in the wood called lactone. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've identified there's a, there's a technology an analytical technology called gas chromatography uh, that they use a lot in analyzing both wine and oak. And they can use this technology to really isolate and identify all these specific naturally occurring chemical compounds that have these signature uh, aromas to them. And it's really quite a long list. Um, and you can get everything from, like I said, vanilla, coconut into spicy, uh, you know, uh, clove is another real common uh, aroma derived from mm, oak. Yeah. Um, yeah. The list just goes kind of on and on. Okay, so cool. depending on, yeah. And depending on how you, how you control the process, you know, the, the amount of time and then the, the temperature that you expose the wood to, you can, you can uh, alter the concentration of these different things in the wine to get a, a different that's, result. So, that's really cool. Yeah. So you toast the barrels. Yeah. Do you ever char barrels? For spirits, we do. Okay. Yes. Yes. So um, that would be another big difference between making a, a, a bourbon barrel and a, and a wine barrel, gotcha. right, is charring versus toasting. <clears throat> okay, so when a winemaker comes to you looking to buy a barrel, what does that conversation sound like? 
Like, what mm-hmm. kind of questions are they asking you? You know, if do they come at you saying, I want my wine to taste like this, and you, just by what they're telling you, can defer what kind of wine it means or what, how long it needs to be toasted, that kind of thing? Right. Yeah, it's, uh, it's an interesting conversation. You know, usually, you know, you sit down with them and they, they have a particular wine in mind, you know, whether it's Cabernet Sauvignon or Pinot Noir or Chardonnay. And so they have a specific kind of flavor profile that they want to try to create in the finished wine. And so that affects all the decisions that they're going to make, you know, from when they're going to pick the grapes, you know, where the vineyard's going to be planted, all these <clears throat> grape growing decisions through to the winemaking, you know, what kind of yeast are they going to use? How long is the wine going to stay in contact with the skins before it's barreled? And then, of course, that extends to the choice of barrel. And so depending on the description that they provide of this flavor profile, say like, okay, I want to make a Chardonnay, but we really want it to be what we call fruit forward, where, you know, we want it to be crisp. We want it to have a sense of freshness. We want it to be sort of the flavors to be kind of pure and fruity. So I want a little bit of oak there to kind of complement that, but I'm not looking to make, you know, a really rich, buttery, you know, oaky wine. Uh, so given that information, then I can say, okay, well, let's say this is probably going to be a good candidate for a French oak barrel, you know, that's this size, you know, that's another thing is we make these different, uh, capacity barrels and the larger the barrel gets, the, the less influence it exerts over the wine, for example. And then we'll look at what kind of toast, you know, we're going to, uh, we're going to put on the barrel to try to achieve this this end for the winemaker. So generally, like, for example, a lighter toast on the barrel will make it <clears throat> less aggressive uh, uh, on the wine. Okay. So, whereas, cool. yeah. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's my favorite part of the job, actually, is oh, the consultation with the winemakers. And then, of course, you get to come back, you know, after the wine's been in the barrel for six months or so and, and taste it out of the barrel and see how it's coming along and, you know, whether it's working or whether we need to go back to the drawing board and, 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 and try something else. So do you have like a little sample of the wine that you put in the barrels and you keep on ha- and, and like you age it for a little while and see how it does? Is it- Typically the way, yeah, the way it works is, you know, uh, we really ramp up production in the cooperage right about now. We start getting orders in the spring and the early summer, and then we go gangbusters through the summer. And of course everybody wants their barrels delivered right before harvest again, mm. typically like late August, September. And then the wine gets put into barrels like later in the fall or early winter. And then in the spring, you start getting invitations from winemakers to come out and taste the wine in the barrels with them. So it's really fun. You go into the cellar with them typically, and they have, you you know, you guys probably know what a wine thief is where, you know, it's, yeah. So a special tool that they just go ahead and take the bung out of the barrel and, and draw wine out and fill your glass. And, you know, you kind of stand around the barrel and, and exchange your, your notes and thoughts about how the wine's doing. So, so so let's say you had someone with a specific profile and you get to this point in the process and it's not fitting the profile that they asked for. What happens Mm -hmm. then? Do you have to make new barrels and dump it into the new barrels? Or do you just say, well, this vintage is going to taste this way. We'll try it again next year. Yeah. So what they typically the way it works is you start out on a trial basis. So like um, if you're getting a first order from somebody, it's usually not for more than a couple barrels. And that way, one of the reasons is they're kind of like mitigating the risk of it not working out. I see. That makes sense. They'll they'll blend it out. You know, that's like a big uh, tool of winemaking is if something's not quite right, 
if it's only in a couple barrels out of a couple hundred, it's really not going to, you know, have a, a big effect on the, on the finished wine. So, right. Yeah. So, but yeah, so if it, if it's not working, then typically they'll give you another chance, you know, and, and, uh, you know, uh, you'll go back and, and kind of choose a different toast or, 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 or something like that. Okay. Well, we're going to do a tasting after this, Quinn. So um, a blind tasting for me. That's right. I'm going to give her like a little <laughs> contest. Right. So um, okay. you can help me. What are the telltale signs that a red wine has seen oak? And what are the telltale signs that a white wine has seen oak? These are my little cheat notes I'm taking. <laughs> yeah. Well, I would say, you know, um, typically the first thing that you notice would be the aroma of, you know, toast. So like toasted, toasted bread, mm-hmm. um, for both, for both red and white. Okay. Um, yeah, toasted bread is a real common, uh, descriptor. Vanilla again is a real common descriptor. Um, it, different kinds of spice, you know, clove, uh, nutmeg, baking spices, uh, typically come from, from toasted oak barrels. Yummy. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, sometimes there's a certain nuttiness as well. You can mm-hmm. get like, um, especially in, in whites, like, uh, barrel aged Chardonnays, barrel fermented barrel aged Chardonnays, you can get this real hazelnut like aroma from, from okay. toasted oak. So yeah, typically anything that you're smelling in the wine that doesn't seem like it's, um, fruity, you know, fruity or floral, um, is probably a good indication that, that, that uh, the wine spent some time in a new barrel. Another, another one is, is uh, another nut that's really common is almond. Like uh, oh. toasted oak uh, has a real strong concentration of uh, a chemical called furfural, which is also found in almonds. And oh, like cool. even like really sweet almonds, like Jordan almonds, those candied almonds mm-hmm. or uh, yeah. amaretto liqueur. Mm. Um, <laughs> You're talking Jamie's language. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, especially in reds, if you get that kind of almond-like aroma, it's, gotcha. it's probably from a barrel. Um, yeah. Thank you for helping me. I'll let you know how I do. <laughs> <laughs> All right, yeah. Um, I have two more questions. I know you've, you're busy, and I, I mean, I really feel like I could talk to you all afternoon. I have so many questions. But one, you said, <laughs> see new oak. So how long are you able to keep a barrel in use? Do you just use it one year and get rid of it? Or, yeah, what's what about age yeah. of the barrels? Yeah, it depends. it depends entirely on the winery. So there are some wines, and I would say uh, in particular, you know, really sort of high-end Cabernet Sauvignon from California, where the, the program is to age the wine in most or, or 100% new oak barrels every year. Um, so, but typically you can hang on, you know, if the barrel is properly cared for, which means you keep it clean and you keep it in an environment that's humidified so that it doesn't dry out when it's being stored empty, Right. then the barrel will last, you know, pretty much indefinitely. Um, but the question that kind of the limiting factor for winemakers is how much of the flavor of the wood right. remains, right? right. So, um, yeah, so the longer that there's wine in contact with the wood, the, the more of, of the flavor of the wood is, is extracted. So yeah. I think the rule of thumb for most wineries is that they hang on to a barrel for about five years or so before they get rid of it. Okay. Uh, because at that point, that's when it sort of becomes a neutral vessel. Right. Um, but yeah, so typically it, it kind of works its way through different winemaking programs. Like if you have a large winery, 
the high end, you know, real pricey stuff is going to see the new barrel. And then once that wine's been bottled, that barrel will move into a different program for kind of the second tier, you know, sort of moderate price wine. And then, you know, it'll find its way out of the winery. Well, Quinn, this has been fascinating. This has really been fascinating. And I don't think a lot of people have really delved too far into what like the full spectrum of what oak does in a wine. Yeah, this is going to be a mm. cool tasting for me. Yeah, so thank you so Great. much for your time today. We truly appreciate it. And again, we're speaking with Quinn Roberts. He's the Master Cooper Certified Wine Specialist at Tonellery O uh, Cooperage, and that's out in California. And again, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, oh, Quinn. Thank you for having me. It's been fun. Okay, Cheers. have Thanks. a good day. Thanks so much. You too. All right, bye. Bye-bye. on Facebook at Wine and Dandy Podcast. We're also on Instagram and Twitter at Wine and Dandy Podcast. Quinn Roberts was so knowledgeable. I am so grateful that I got to ask him all the questions that I got to ask him. Oh, yeah. And apparently it's quite a coup to talk to a Cooper. From, <laughs> I, I did. I did. I did. Yeah, my husband was like beside himself. He's like, how'd you get one? I'm like, I don't know. A friend of a friend. And he's like, no, they don't talk to anybody. But now we see why. There's just not that many of them. I bet they talk to cuties. Right. Shut up, Eddie. No. <laughs> okay, so today's wine news is a little bit serious. Oh, okay. Well, let yes. me get ready. I'm serious. Um, a lawsuit was filed earlier the month in New York against the retailer Wine Chateau, which is a website where you oh. can order wine, claiming the site is not fully accessible to the blind and visually impaired customers, as is required by the Americans with Disabilities Act. Oh, good for them for suing. They need to sue. Well, the same guy who has organized this lawsuit has organized them against basically everybody for the same reason, for the ADA, uh, Disney, Procter & Gamble, Mattel. The problem is those companies can handle the fine a lot better than a smaller company like Wine Chateau. So basically the word's getting out, hey, retail shop owners who have websites, you better be sure that blind people can read or access the information on your website. Yeah, I see no problem with that. Like, that's the only way they're going to be able... Oh, that, no pun intended. Um, <laughs> that, you know, that's the way change gets made, sadly, in this country. You can just you can only yeah. talk about it so much. Eventually, you got to hit them in the wallet. got to rattle the cage. Anyway, so the good news is that hopefully these wine ordering websites will be more accessible to the visually impaired in the future. Yeah, especially a wine website. Let's not deny anybody of wine. Amen. We're <laughs> firm believers in that. Let's move on to some wine tasting. Let's do it. Okay, great. So, like I said to Quinn, I went and got oaked and unoaked red and whites. Okay. So, I'm going to test you. This is my favorite. And hopefully, you'll be able to tell the difference between an oaked and an unoaked. I hope so. Okay, great. So, let me pour. Close your eyes. I'm going to be pouring into the Christmas glass, our infamous Christmas glass. Ooh, festive. That's my favorite sound with my eyes closed. <laughs> and here's the other one. We're doing whites first, obviously. Okay. Oops. Spilled some wine, but not in the board. Engineer won't be mad. Did you see? No. Okay. But I did hear Stelvin enclosures. Yeah, those are the whites. Okay. 
Thank you, ma'am. You're welcome. And then you you tell me. You have two Chardonnays in front of you. I do. One is oaked. Okay. One is not. Okay. Which would you like me to do first? Whichever your heart desires. I'm going to do the Christmas glass first, but I am smelling them both at the same time. That's Christmas glass. Wow. Okay. I think I know already. Um, <laughs> well, before you before you taste, which one and why? I believe that the one of the Christmas glass is the unoaked. Okay. It smells... Wow. Now I'm confused because it smells more floral, which he said actually might be from oaked. And the non-Christmas glass smells very petroleum-y, so I'm switching. I think the Christmas glass is the oaked one. And Sarah's now smelling them herself. because well, now I think I've forgotten which one I put in the Christmas glass. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Would you like to smell my glasses? <laughs> it's what I thought. Okay, so I believe the Christmas glass is the oaked Chardonnay. I will now commence to the tasting. Okay, that is, it's a nice Chardonnay. It's um, got a little tiny bit of grip, but it's delightful. Now I'm going to taste the regular Undecorated. In the secular glass. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> this is the one that smells like petroleum to me. Yes. I'm definitely committing to the Christmas glass is the oaked Chardonnay. Okay. Well, you'd be correct. Yay! Woo! Hey! <laughs> okay. So the Christmas glass contained Carson Scott Chardonnay. It's a 2019 California Chardonnay. I got it at Seaboard Wine Warehouse. Uh, thank you, Jen King. And you're absolutely right. It has seen oaked. And like you said, that's why you smelled. Yeah. So you, you got that toastiness. There's a little bit of toastiness yeah, on the nose. More flavor, which yeah. is nice. Yeah. So that's what the oak did. Cool. And it wasn't buttery, though. No, it wasn't buttery. I found it to be a very, for me, approachable Chardonnay. I don't like a buttery Chardonnay, but I liked this one. Well, you know, I'm learning from this because I always assumed with the butter bombs, you know, mm-hmm. out there, that it was because of the oak that it tasted like butter. But I think it's more malolactic fermentation yep. that's causing it, which is a huge, kind of an aha moment for me. And for those of you who haven't looked back at our uh, Chardonnay episode... I am ashamed of you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> You're ashamed. <laughs> it's available for you, but basically it's just a process where bacteria converts malic acid into lactic acid and carbon dioxide, and in doing so, it becomes like real creamy on the mouth. And, yeah. Yeah. I mean, some people dig it. Yeah. Which is easy to remember because lactic, like milk, like cream, makes it yeah. taste uh, kind of buttery. Yeah. So anyway, I would definitely prefer the oaked Chardonnay. Let's do another one That's of these. Surprising to me because the other one we didn't I didn't tell you was the mm-hmm. Pierre Ephils, mm-hmm. Sons and Daughters. Oh. Chardonnay. It's from France. Mm, nice. By a Laurent Miquel. Both and, of these are available at Seaboard Wine Warehouse. Why did you think I would like the other one? Because it's it's leaner. It's a leaner. It is lean. Yeah, and yeah. and you like and Sauvignon Blancs, yeah, and you right. like Pinot Grigio, so you like mm-hmm. a zippier wine, and that's what this wine would yeah. be. But you knew going in you were having Chardonnay, so perhaps you had a preconceived notion of what was going to happen in your Possibly. mouth. Possibly. I also found the oak Chardonnay to be more flavorful. Okay. Yeah. Well, look at that. Look at us changing day by day, I Jamie Klasky. We are growers. We are. Before we get to our next pairing of oaked versus unoaked wine, let's take a short break. Welcome back. We are in the middle of our oaked versus unoaked saga <laughs> tournament. Very dramatic in here. Yeah, it is. All of a sudden, I don't know what just happened. So we've got to close your eyes. Okay. Whenever you say that, I don't close my eyes. I look at my shoes. 
where I'm a little concerned that I made the wrong shoe choice today, but y'all can't see me, so it doesn't really matter. I'll tell you, though. I'll I tell you on. one thing. I've been wearing more boots now that it's turned hot because wow. the the office is so icy. Yeah, it is. So when I have a sundress on, because mm-hmm. I know I'm going to be hot when I leave, I, I brought a pair of boots to <laughs> work that it would socks. <laughs> no, they're like, they're like knee-high riding boots, and I just wow. wear them with all of my sundresses at work, and then I keep my sandals under the desk. I didn't hardly wear them at all this winter, but man, if I hadn't gotten use out of them since it's been 90 degrees. This is a first world problem, people. Yeah. It it, it it is a problem. It's really cold in here. For real. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Can we please... Why can't we open our windows in our offices? I don't know. That just drives me madder than a hatter. And even the guy DJs are posting about it. Are they? I'm sorry. On our personalities, as we like to be called. It's like (laughs) DJs. We don't do anything with discs anymore. (laughs) Okay, let's go on to our next tasting, okay. and I know which is in which. Okay. All right, so sniffy sniff. All right, in the Christmas glass is a red, it smells a little bit tart, like tart cherries. <sighs> okay, and in the secular glass. <laughs> oh, interesting. They're not the same grape. Okay, this Oh, actually, yes, they are. They okay, are this... the same grape. This one smells a little bit like Welch's grape juice. Hmm. Wouldn't it be funny if it was, and the joke would be on me. Anyway. <laughs> Concord grape juice, right, when you have a, the flu. Uh, I am uh, going to start with the Christmas glass. You got it. Be careful. You have a white shirt on. Right. I'm going to set this far away from me. But don't put it on the board, because that's even worse Oh, my problem. goodness. Now I'm trying. There's really here. nowhere to put that except for in your stomach. <laughs> hold this the rest of the day. Um, it's tasty. It also has a little bit of grip. Uh, it tastes like a Pinot Noir to me. It tastes like um, a little bit leaner, and it's good. Okay. Yeah. Secular glass. This is the one that smells a little bit like Welch's grape juice. Mm, I like Welch's grape juice. Mm, mm-hmm. I like Welch's... Um, White grape juice? Well, I was going to say popsicles. Oh. If they still make them. I think they do. Oh, actually, no, I don't know. Mm. Okay, again, I'm going with Christmas glass for the oaked. And again, you'd be correct. Yeah, I'm on fire. <laughs> okay. So did you get any nuttiness? These are both Tempranillos. So it surprises me that you say they reminded you of Pinot Noir, but hey, man, if it does, it does. Yeah, the uh, the oaked one reminds me of Pinot Noir more. Um, These I will I take. Didn't get a sip nuttiness. Of. Yeah, I didn't get nuttiness, but um, just flavorful. I've, you know what I find? There's more subtle nuances to the oaked wine. Interesting. Well, the oaked one you're having is called Burgo Viejo. It's a uh, mm, I like a Viejo Crianza um, Spanish wine. This is called Burgo Vieja. Excuse me, Burgo Viejo. Ah. <laughs> and uh, it's a Rioja. That's there the word go. I was looking for. It's yeah. a Tempranillo from Spain. It's a 2016, which oh. means it's seen some age. Yeah. Ooh, yeah, it's good. It's nice. It's I, yeah, this, this is your kind of wine. Yeah, it's, yeah. I can see why you thought it was like a yeah, Pinot a, Noir. Yeah, the body is very, very light. There's a lot of grip, but it's mmm, yum. Mm-hmm. I, I like that. You get the subtle nuances yeah, as well. Yeah, there's a warmness to uh-huh, it. And uh-huh. there's a little bit of vanilla there. Mm-hmm. Mm, yum, yum, yum. And the other one is El Jefe. I want you to sniff it too and see if you agree with my Welch's. Oh, yeah. yeah. It, well, yeah. It totally smells like Concord grape juice. Crazy, right? Yeah. And this is also Tempranillo, and it's also from Spain. But it's, it's on the label. It says unoaked. Oh, okay. No grip at all. Interesting. Yeah. So, and everything we've ever talked about with oaked wine, we all of us are just getting turned on our head because there's some real subtleties that come in to the winemaking process depending on how they store them. Yeah. 
Unbelievable. I am shocked at how much of a difference there was. Yeah, me too. Like that tasted like, I mean, on a real hot day Mm -hmm. when I don't have food to go with my wine, I think this El Jefe Grande would be fine. Mm -hmm. Not even, it doesn't even have to be a really hot day, but if I don't have any food and I'm I'm looking for a sipper, Uh I think the El Jefe would be easier to sip. Uh I don't tend to eat, to drink wine without eating something. Me too. I mean, I usually what happens is I'll have dinner and then I'll, continue to drink on for a couple maybe an hour after dinner okay or three um <laughs> insight into sarah's casa Duh. yeah well yeah, my house is a good time right. anyway um so the the i would start dinner with this rioja but this would be a nicer afternoon like it's just an easier drink just a sipping wine the el jefe well, I think this is this was so interesting and really so mind changing for us. I highly recommend that you guys listening just do this. You know, do it alone. Get a couple friends. This yeah. is kind of a fun little uh, blind tasting game to play and really see what people think. People may have misconceptions as we did yes. about how oaking affects the different kinds of wine. Total Wine is a good place to go, but by all means, support local. If you got a local wine yep. shop, go in there and say, "I have a wine club. We want to do ver- oaked versus unoaked." Mm-hmm. Let's do it. A seaboard Wine Warehouse is a great place to go. Yes, Jim King will help you out. All right. Well, thank you for joining us for yet another exciting episode of Wine and Dandy, where we hope you had fun, and we hope we prove that wine is fun, too. And until next time, think about the barrel. Think about all the people involved in the bottle of wine when you drink it, and maybe you'll enjoy it a little bit more. That's right. Wine is a craft, but a fun craft. Cheers. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly.